0: Hello, I'm Will Yeoman, and welcome to another episode of The Pod Well Travelled. I'm joined today by Mowens Johansson, who is freshly back from Melbourne, um, and as he says himself, an action-packed trip, so there's certainly lots to talk about. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to have a chat with Dr. Joanna Pierce, who's a lecturer in tourism and hospitality management at ECU's Mount Lawley campus. We're going to be talking about sustainability and climate change and tourism, hospitality and events and uh, maybe discuss some new dynamics of host and guest relationships this is ahead of a a tourism conference that's going to be happening it's a um i will not say co-production but uh, both murdoch and ecu are um, hosting that and that's going to be coming up soon so we'd, we're going to be talking to joanna in about 10 or 20 minutes or so in the meantime moans welcome back to perth
1: thank you very much will it's good to be back but yeah. uh, i had a lot of fun in melbourne that's uh as we've just spoken about, but uh, yeah, it was a it's a great time to be there right now with the Australian Open being on, and uh, uh, there's of course uh, always, nearly always, something uh, exciting on in Melbourne. But uh, in particular now, I mean, the Australian Open is one of the two big events, you know, uh, the other being uh, the Formula One Grand Prix. Mm. So it's, it's literally buzzing with people everywhere.
0: Oh, amazing! So you uh, primarily went over, I guess, because the Australian Open was on. But you know, such a varied number of events, by the sounds of things, that you attend cultural and you know, food and and obviously the sport. I mean, it, it's, it, it's it's Melbourne. I know this is a cliche. Melbourne is like the events capital, the arts capital. It sounds like it could possibly be true right now.
1: Yeah, I think I think it is. I mean, uh, you know, they. I mean the people uh, the tourism people over there will tell you that uh, you know we haven't got you know the Sydney Harbour Bridge or the 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 Opera House you know those big sort of iconic uh draw cards as as far as buildings go but uh, they work really hard to sort of put on a a show in a in a different kind of way and and uh, you know when you're visiting a place it's it's really stimulating I mean there's there's always something going on and uh, the uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised with a with a with a, quite a few different things over there. But uh, I, I happened to, uh, apart from from spending a day out at the Australian Open, I uh, popped in to see an exhibition at the uh, Flinders Street Station uh, by uh, an artist called Roan, which uh, some of our listeners might be familiar with. He uh, he started off as a as a street artist, basically, but uh, he's sort of he's made a bit of a name for himself with the recreating these. Uh, well, I mean, the one at Flinders Street Station is a, is an exhibition or installation should I say mm-hmm. art installation uh, up on the third floor there, and it uh, sort of a bit of a tribute to uh, time gone past uh, uh, workers and industry in, in Melbourne. And uh, it's there's eleven different rooms, I think it was, uh, and uh, each of them sort of represents a, a a place. So it's a switchboard room or a typing pool or a pharmacy mm-hmm. or an office. Um, and I mean, everyone will interpret this slightly different, but but to me, the way it's been presented is that it. it it just looks like they've just literally walked out and the the building or the room has just been left to decay so there's an i mean the attention to detail is just uh, astonishing because uh you know there, there's uh you know in the typing pool for example there's uh there's paper still sitting in the typewriters that are sort of half half finished or you know and uh, you know there's there's uh, cardigans over the back of some of the chairs, and uh, you know, coffee cups sitting, coffee cups sitting around. And but the, over everything, there's sort of like a fine layer of, of uh, dust, and you oh, know, wow. there's cobwebs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's kind of uh, it makes you wonder why they've just left it like that. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of it's really quite bizarre. And then there's this other. Uh, theme running through the rooms there's a, a, a large mural in each room which uh, is a portrait of a model called Therese aman okay and uh, she has sort of uh, Roan has sort of collaborated with her uh, they've obviously sat, sat down taken a lot of pictures and uh, he's he's uh, produced these these murals of her and this uh, sort of close-up portrait but there's sort of different expressions in different rooms but it's always sort of uh, looks like she's contemplating something or mm. uh, it's got quite a sort of uh, well, how can I how can I best put it uh, you know melancholic sort of look okay. to her mm. uh, so so it kind of gives you that sort of really sort of it's a bit of a haunting sort of experience mm. but at the same time it's sort of really... Uh, stimulating. I mean, you, you sort of I, I, I arrived there and uh, you know, I'd seen some pictures of it and that sort of stuff, so I kind of felt like I knew what to expect but it was really uh, really moving because uh, each of the room, apart from being sort of uh, recreated in, in great detail and then this, this sort of haunting sort of portrait sort of looking over everything, uh There's also some uh, classical music that sort of just plays in the background and initially you don't really notice it. It's just when you sort of stand there taking it all in, this music sort of uh, comes into play, if you pardon the pun, as well. And... uh, you know, there's uh, this subtle light changes. It's it's just really amazingly done. Uh, oh, I really enjoyed that fantastic.
0: particular exhibition. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was seeing your um, images coming through on Instagram, so I've got a sort of sense of what it's like. Do you, do you do you recall how how long it's it's running for?
1: It's running until the end of April, I believe.
0: Oh, plenty of time. Uh, it's That's been,
1: great. it's been mm. extended a bit. So if people are over there, it's definitely one that you shouldn't miss. Oh mm. uh, yeah, uh, you know. Even if you're, I mean, I'm not, as you know, Will, not uh, an art expert by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I, I really enjoyed this and uh, it was just so so well done and so thought provoking. And mm. as I said earlier, I think everyone will come away with a, a different experience and a different take on it. And I think that's the beauty of it.
0: Oh, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Now, while you were over there, you also ducked into the, um, the Victorian uh, Art Gallery. Um, or Art Gallery of Victoria, as it's known, I think, um, to see the Alexander yeah. McQueen exhibition.
1: Yeah, that was another surprise. Uh, again, I'm not a fashionista as such, but uh, you know the, the the way they presented that exhibition. Uh, it's a collection of his, uh, the, uh, I guess, all, all his creations uh, uh, throughout the years, and oh, look, uh, from from, from uh, different uh,
0: shows, I'm assuming.
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And yeah. they're kind of sort of – so they're, they, they've got sort of particular themes to them. Mm. And uh, then uh, the, the uh, uh, NGVA or uh, – what is it? Yeah, yeah well, Nas- the National Gallery. Gallery of
0: <laughs> Victoria. National Gallery of Victoria, have, Victoria. yeah, NGVA. Yeah, uh,
1: have um, added to it by their own collection. And it kind of tells this story about where he got his inspiration from mm. for each of these collections. Uh, which to me was quite interesting so uh so you c- you can see for example you know there's uh there's uh paintings from uh Scotland where he obviously comes from and where mm. he drew some of his inspiration from for some of the collections uh and then uh you know there's there's references to egypt and uh, there is uh you know Turkey and all all kinds of things. So the, so the museum has drawn on their their extensive collection and, and and sort of paired it with some of these collections. So it's really uh, really well really well done.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredible. And uh, there were you know a lot of people in the gallery when you went there.
1: Yeah, there was. I mean, school holidays. Oh, when, of course, when I was there. So there was literally people everywhere. Mm. Um, and and the gallery, uh, apart from that exhibition, you know, also had uh, another one on. Uh, to do with Chinese New Year which obviously draws quite a mm. few people in mm. and uh, they have an outdoor um, art installation as well at the moment which uh, is uh, has got a sort of Greek theme to it and uh, it's a recreation of uh, it's an architectural uh, exhibition so it's a recreation of the uh, some Roman ruins and then then they're being sort of uh, painted by local artists so oh, it's wow. kind of like uh, yeah it's a pretty amazing sort of place to wander around uh, and and just explore so you know i I expected to spend you know an hour an hour and a half or something like in there and I think I spent ended up spending about three hours there and I didn't mm. really feel like I got to the bottom of it so it's <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing
0: <laughs> that's incredible so um, we haven't even talked about the Australian Open how was how that uh, for you was, was it quite an experience
1: yeah I mean I've uh, you know as a as a press photographer in a previous life, I've covered the Australian Open oh, of several course, times, of and, course. Uh, mm. but but to act to actually go and sit the uh, sit in the stands and uh, you know mosey around up on the outside courts and just soak up the atmosphere mm. was uh, was pretty nice. And uh, you know it's it's you know it's obviously about the tennis, but you know it's a really good sort of family day out. There's lots of activities for. Uh, for for kids uh, who who may not want to sit and and watch a whole tennis uh, tennis match, uh, so people, you know, uh, would would typically purchase. You know, I guess fan tennis fans uh, uh, who are visiting with families might choose to to uh, uh, purchase the ground pass, uh, which is the, I guess the people's way to see the tennis rather than uh, just a, a seat in Rod Laver arena, you know, mm. to, to see the, the, the really big matches. Uh, but, uh, you know, the ground pass is, uh, is a really good way to, to experience the whole event because you can, you can sort of roam around and, and uh, dip into the action on all the different outside courts and, uh, uh, then there's a, a range of activities for for kids and adults alike. You know, there's uh, table anything from table tennis to <laughs> to half court tennis, uh, and uh, you know all kinds of other fun little yeah. little things uh, for the kids to to do. Mm. Uh, and then there's of course uh, you know uh, restaurants and and bars and that sort of stuff that has popped up throughout Melbourne Park there. So.
0: Well, it it's got amazing. a really
1: sort of festival atmosphere, mm. uh, but obviously all geared around the tennis, but uh, that's, uh, that's what everyone is there for, I guess.
0: Well, indeed. So now we haven't even talked about the, the hospitality part of your trip, too, like the hotels, the, the restaurants. I mean, any, any particular highlights there?
1: Yeah, I stayed this time. I stayed at the um, Sofitel up on the top end of Collins Street. Oh, very uh, nice.
0: Yes, a very familiar yeah, hotel yeah. to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, you get some fantastic views there. My uh, my room. I mean, Sofitel. For those who don't know, they take up the uh, the top fifteen floors of mm. of the the tower there in Collins Street, and um, so uh from the thirty fifth floor up to the fiftieth is is all hotel and uh, my room was on the 46th floor and it, uh, uh, you know, luckily looked out over Melbourne Park oh, and uh, yeah, MCG in that, that direction. Mm, so, mm. Uh, you know, I could, uh, when I came back uh, after a day at the tennis, you know, the, it was sort of twilight and uh, the lights were coming on and, uh, you know, it, the whole complex looked amazing and there's still loads of people that uh flooding in. That particular night... Uh, was one of the really late nights. I think one of the one of the matches went on until uh you know well into the early hours of the morning. So um so this it's a it's a sort of uh, nearly 24-hour operation out yeah, there.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. No amazing. Yeah, and look that 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 so-called Paris end of Collins Street. It's quite beautiful, isn't it? Just to walk up there to your to your hotel.
1: Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. And the the other you know what I really like about Melbourne? I mean they're... they're it, it is such an easy place to sort of get to know because it's basically, you know, that familiar grid layout of, yes. of, uh, of of streets. So, you know, if you're familiar with Perth, you know, just, uh, you know, up the size a little bit and uh, you, you can pretty much easily find your way around. And the other thing is that, you know, within this CBD there, um, you can jump on and off a tram for free. Mm. You know, that, that that whole area is... Is uh, is free to use the trams, uh, and uh, they come all the time. So mm. it's not like uh, waiting for a cat bus or anything <laughs> like that. You know, <laughs> no, there's no, a, there's always there's a always a always a tram. So if you if you sort of don't feel like walking anymore, just jump on a tram, and <laughs> uh, in a few minutes you're right down the other end of town. So so I think I think that's they do that sort of thing really well. Yeah, uh, no, and,
0: I agree. Uh, mm.
1: And, uh, you know, then it's just a, a nice place, all these laneways that uh, are just full of interesting stuff. I mean, yeah. a lot of it sort of geared around, you know, cafes and restaurants, of course. But, uh, you know, there's so much other stuff and, uh, you know, interesting shops. Um, I took an interesting guided tour with sort of a walking tour, which is actually something I'd recommend to anyone who, who are in any city I guess but uh, it's in, in Melbourne in particular if you haven't been there for a while or have never been there it's a good way just to get the feel for the place get the lie of the land and mm-hmm. then you know some insights from the locals as to where to go and so on so uh, that's then then you can from there you can you can you can pick the eyes out of it and and do your own thing from there.
0: Oh yeah, look, that's amazing, and and I love those laneways, particularly if I'm there and I, I you know don't really fancy a breakfast at the hotel. I can just go to one of those cafes and have an fresco, you know breakfast, and, and it's just nothing like it.
1: No, no, it's fantastic, and uh, it, it it really is good. So um, and and uh, yeah, I, went, I popped out to the um, the Melbourne Museum as well, and and that was. Absolutely buzzing being school holidays. Mm. <laughs> they were just, um, you know, kids running around looking at the, <laughs> uh, the dinosaurs, and uh, you know, it's, it's quite interactive out there. It's a, new, a relatively new museum like uh, like our own here in Perth, mm. but uh, mm. uh, uh, and uh, you know, just a, a real sort of interactive place to to visit, you know. It's, it's it's not like the museums of old at all.
0: Mm, okay. Well, it sounds like um, you you weren't wrong when you said it was an action-packed trip. That's that's incredible.
1: No, no. And then you know that you know I haven't even touched on the dining experience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well Well, g- g- give it. us give
0: us give us a couple of your highlights then.
1: Um, the highlight for me was um, being on of Scandinavian descent. Was uh, mm. I visited a new uh, Scandinavian restaurant? Oh there, wow. Uh, it's called Fryer. It's uh, down in the uh, Docklands end of Collins Street, oh, if yes. you like.
0: Yeah, so the, the opposite uh, end to where you are with the yeah, hotel. Yeah, the opposite is end.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, that was just amazing. I had sort of a tasting menu of, of all the the, the different – oh, uh, well, not all the different, obviously, but uh, some of the the most popular uh, dishes there. That was amazing. Um and uh, another another amazing one was um, one, a new one in town called Grill Americano. Mm. Uh, it is in uh, I think from memory it was uh, Flinders Lane. Oh yes, um, up up the uh, the sort of Parliament end of of that, mm. um, and that was that was really nice as well. Uh, very sort of uh, sophisticated. Sort of New York uh, feel to it, you know, and uh, it was really, really busy, popular. Um, and in both of these, I, uh, in particular, at the uh, Fryer, the uh, uh, Scandinavian restaurant, I sat uh, right at the, uh, at the, you know, in the kitchen, sort of looking in, and uh, it is just amazing to see these these guys. I mean, the, the, these some of the chefs in there they had um, uh, yeah, Michelin star Michelin yep. restaurant experience, and mm. you could really, really tell because uh, the attention to detail when they're preparing the dishes is just meticulous, and mm. the uh, uh, you know everything is spotless, and uh, you know the, uh, there's no yelling and screaming in the kitchen or anything like that. It's just uh, pure professional. Oh, wow artists that work just about you know it's uh it's fantastic i really enjoyed the food but but also uh the experience of of seeing how they go about preparing
0: yeah look it's amazing so for anyone thinking of going to melbourne soon there's no shortage of stuff to do even if you miss the um, australian open and there's just so much going on all the time Other the sounds of things
1: yeah yeah i mean just it's a you know if you're heading over for a for a long weekend or a week or something like that, uh, it's a matter of just jumping on the uh, website and and see what's what's going on. And uh, I'd recommend, you know, if it's one of the big events, you know, you definitely need to to book ahead and and plan ahead a little bit because uh, it it uh, it will sell out. And uh, just to ensure, if you really want to see a particular event, you know, you just got to make sure you got the tickets pre-booked.
0: Okay. Well, thanks so much. And look, thanks for joining us on your day off. I know it's supposed to be your day off today and um but you're, you I guess you were just so excited, um, that you wanted to share oh, yeah. share all this news with our listeners as soon as possible. Yeah,
1: no no problem at all. I'm I'm glad to glad to talk about it because it's still uh it's still sort of fresh in my mind and uh, you know, I, I honestly did have a fantastic time over there. I was only over there for three days, but it felt like uh much more than that because mm. there's just so
0: much to do. Yeah and of course readers can uh, read your feature in this weekend's West Australian as well and see some of the fabulous photographs so that's something to look forward to as well um, In the meantime we're going to cross over to Joanna now to hear more about the uh, the Tourism Conference and everything associated with that so I'm going to let you get back to your day off, Moans thanks again for joining us on The Pod World well Travelled My pleasure See you Hello, Joanna, and welcome to the Podwell Travelled.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, just tell us a little bit about this conference, which I believe Edith Cowan is co-hosting.
2: Yeah, it's a um, collaborative conference with um, Curtin Universities and Murdoch University, and it's uh, got a very long title called the Council for Australasian Tourism and Hospitality Education. (laughs) And this year... We're um, having it as sort of a a, a play on the compass um, of west, east, south and north, redirecting research in tourism, hospitality and events. Because, of Mm. course, we're all coming out of this post-COVID world. So what does that actually mean for um, tourism, for hospitality, for events and even the education and how we educate um, our our students in this post-COVID world? So that's sort of the the flavour of the conference for this year.
0: No, look, absolutely, that's excellent. Um, and t- roughly, I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot of speakers. Roughly, how long would it go for?
2: Yeah, so it's over two and a half days mm. uh, and it's being held down in the Esplanade uh, in Fremantle because, of course, with three universities, it's easier to get together in the one place. Indeed. Um, and we've currently got over uh, 180 registrations with um, a number of people coming from across Australia and New Zealand, and we've also got people coming from Europe and Japan as well. Uh, Given this is one of the first pure face-to-face conferences that um, we've had since COVID, everyone's keen to get back into the same room and and actually see each other face-to-face now, which is great to see.
0: No, absolutely. Now, you're um, a lecturer and course coordinator in tourism and hospitality management at ECU in Mount Lawley, and I'm just wondering how... The um, the academic work for you and so forth has changed um, during COVID, and now that we're, as you say, coming out of the um, well, certainly maybe not we're not coming out of COVID necessarily, but we're coming out of the restrictions that are involved with COVID. So, so yeah. I mean, you know, what what sort of changed for you as someone who's in this working in this space?
2: Yeah, so firstly, in relation to our students, of course, we had to really pivot very quickly online Mm. uh, during 2020 2020 and 2021. Um, And we've now, thankfully, uh, with the easing of restrictions, gone back to being on campus. And we're actually seeing a number of students really coming back to be on campus. And they're really enjoying being able to actually get out of home and get away from the computer and actually interact with other students and the lecturers as well. So firstly, that's a really good point. Um, But secondly, we are seeing a little bit of a change in what... What we're teaching uh, in our tourism and hospitality degree. So we're seeing things like um, the increase and rise in technology and how we can use technology Mm. to overcome some of the issues that became apparent with COVID. You know, so things like, um, you know, how can we do um, contact-free check-in and the increase in the use of apps uh, by hotels to do everything from your key card to enter your hotel room to, um, you know, ordering food Mm. uh, to all of those sorts of things. So technology is becoming um, a key component component and the rise in technology and how technology is helping us do a number of those things is certainly something that's coming through in our teaching Uh, and also um, sustainability. So how can we ensure that um, because of the change in COVID and we're seeing, um, you know, those wonderful pictures that were coming around the world of things like because we weren't traveling, just how we, you know, people could see mountains that they'd never seen before because it was always covered with smog. Mm. So how can we try and keep the, the momentum going in this clean? green um form of tourism and hospitality so how can we use this as, as a way to really push through that sustainability aspect
0: i know absolutely and that that leads into something i was going to ask you about which is how how uh we do balance the the economic sustainability and the environmental sustainability i mean as i say if, if indeed they are separate because they're probably not they're probably um it's a symbiotic relationship
2: Absolutely, um, and I guess it sort of depends on your definition of sustainability. So sustainability, of course, can mean that uh, long term, so you know, in mm-hmm. terms of keeping something sustainable over the longer term, uh, but certainly what I teach within my Sustainable Tourism Development Unit is how can we ensure that we embrace the uh, sustainability uh, in terms of sustainable development? So how can we make sure we balance the uh, good economic bits, the good social bits and the good environmental bits to have mm. the best outcome. And so that's where we're seeing this change in how people are thinking in terms of you take that longer term view um, of of balancing the economics and environment because often a lot of the environmental things that hotels can do or other um, industries can do can cost a lot initially. So if you think like, for example, you looked at putting solar panels on your home, um, you know, the initial cost of doing it is very expensive. Uh, But if you look over the longer term in terms of how much money you save on your bill each time, you can realise that it can can pay off and, and be better for you in the longer term. And this is what we're seeing embraced by hotels: is that they realise it might be in a, um, a big cost initially in terms of startup. The benefits they get through the longer term um, are, are far out um, weighing those initial startup costs. Mm. So we're starting to see that economic and environmental aspects slowly coming to come to a more even balance in terms of embracing green initiatives and, and still having that economic profit and that economic viability.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And I think the opportunity is there for, for example, hotels, which are new builds and not just refurbishments. And I, I'm thinking, um, I remember when the uh, the new um, Hilton Garden Inn in Albany came online. Um, I've been mm-hmm. in there a couple of times and just seeing what they were doing with all the new technology that you mentioned, and just yeah. the, the the you know the really efficient use of water of of electricity um, it was just amazing.
2: Yeah, anyone will tell you it's a lot easier to put uh, technology into a new build than mm-hmm. trying to retrofit. So, um, and that's the great thing is that there are a number of products out there that they can use. Uh, and we're also seeing people, um, companies and builders embracing what's around them. And that's part of the key with sustainability is recognising that what may work in Europe may not necessarily work here in mm. Australia. So, for example, we can embrace solar panels because we get so much sunshine. Um, so, we're, you know, recognising that that and, and using what's around you. So, you know, there's um, examples of um, hotels in sort of Vietnam and places where they're actually using the ocean to help cool, you know, pumping the, the seawater there to help cool or heat um, hotels and things like that. So it's recognising what you've got around you and then using those in your in your build, which is a lot easier when you're building rather than trying to
0: retrofit. No, you're absolutely correct. Now, one of the things I just wanted to discuss, which just occurred to me too, I, I recall, um, I'm pretty sure it was Kyoto that was saying that actually we want to limit the number of tourists now because we, we've just been loving, you know, this sort of COVID period where there've been fewer tourists. It's been wonderful for the city. It's been wonderful for the for the environment. We, we kind of want to keep it that way. And that's amazing because <laughs> yes. obviously they're, they're, a, they're a massive tourism um, destination. So I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and you'll find um, a lot of places before COVID hit were sort of tr- uh, going down that angle. And the term that you may have heard was, was over tourism. So mm. places like Venice. Um, Hong Kong, Barcelona. You're seeing the um, the locals, the local communities within those um, cities, basically rising up and saying, we've, "We've had enough. We don't want any more." And again, the the COVID is almost, um, and the stopping of travelling worldwide is almost giving those um, cities and places that perception of, "Well, we don't actually need tourists to survive. Maybe we can actually put some restrictions in because we've found other ways to um, offset what we would have lost." To tourism income, um, there might be other avenues that we could explore, and we may actually change what we offer in terms of tourism. Um, so, you know, a number of places around the world um, do what we call high cost, low volume tourism. So, mm. they may only take a small number of tourists, but they, they charge a higher amount, and people are actually willing to, to pay that amount because it is exclusive or because of the benefits that they see uh, from, from the, the cost of it. Uh, and so, that's what some places are actually trying to um, look at in terms of. What are the other options or what else could they do outside of welcoming huge amounts of tourists through the door? Mm,
0: indeed, and, and, and given everything you've just mentioned, Venice is, is a prime example of a lot of those aspects. Um, but look, there's so much to talk about, um, Joanna, but yeah. I, just, I just want to maybe finish with this last question. And it's an important one. So in light of the, what's going on with climate change at the moment, and it's it's no longer oh, in the future, it's actually here now should mm-hmm. people even be be flying and cruising and traveling all over the world and staying in fabulous hotels i mean you know how do we balance that need both economically and for our own selves versus um looking after the the climate
2: Yeah, unfortunately, this is where Perth and Western Australia, we suffer from that tyranny of distance and Mm. that we do have to travel a lot, even within our own state, to to go and see a number of these locations. Um, And, I mean, you know, tourism and flying and cruise ships have often been, you know, sold and and being told as being the the biggest emitters. But when you compare it to the amount of driving that we do, you know, with only (laughs) one or two people in a car... Of course. uh, You know, yeah, so, you know, but, of course, there's... plenty of different things that you can try and do to to try and um, make yourself feel a little bit better or or, um, counteract some of these negative perceptions. And that's things like, you know, if you can, when you're booking, look for airlines that use, you know, the newest planes because, of course, they've got the most energy-efficient technology and the most energy-efficient designs to them. Um, You know, even if you go to Europe, for example, um, rather than taking flights within Europe, you might look at train travel. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
2: I certainly did it when I was traveling around Europe in my early 20s. Um, we got the Europass and travelled around, and that was one of my best memories of travelling through Switzerland in one of those, you know, glass-walled um, train carriages, and just seeing the beautiful scenery as it was going oh, by. Yeah, look, of course, you, you don't get see that so when much fly. more, don't you? Yeah,
0: exactly. When you're flying, exactly, you're just yeah. not seeing any of that. Mm.
2: Exactly. Um, and certainly there are offset programs available in terms of, you know, paying a little bit extra to offset your, your carbon usage. Some are better than others in terms of, you know, the, the more bang for your buck. And certainly I would recommend if anyone's looking at any of those, just see if they're um, certified by the UN gold standard. Mm, so, mm. And I guess that's probably a key that I would give to anybody when they're looking at, you know, eco or green or more environmentally friendly travel options is to look that they've actually been certified. Um, So there's the UN one, there's uh, Green Globe and there's Earth Check and in Europe there's um, EU Eco Label. So you've just got that um, added assurance that someone's actually verified that the environmental Mm. claims that they're making are are actually true and correct. Um, Cruising unfortunately still has a long way to go. Um, They're trying to make some changes in relation to trying to be a bit more uh, environmentally friendly. You know they're looking at Biofuels, or hybrids, and even hydrogen-powered ships, um, but it's still unfortunately a long way off, just because of the infrastructure that's involved mm. and the power that's needed to move these these huge ships around. Absolutely. So they're doing a lot of green initiatives on board, um, but whether that truly offsets the the, um, the carbon Uh, produced by the fuels um yeah that's up for um, people to look at but again i just um uh, if people are looking at trying to choose more green or environmentally friendly cruising just have a look at the companies themselves and and what they're doing uh in order to offset um any carbon emissions that they're producing
0: no absolutely well there's some terrific advice there Jonah. thank you so much and thanks for being on the pod well traveled um good luck with the conference it sounds like there's there's so much to talk about so much to cover um it's, and, and a great time to be doing it as well.
2: Oh, absolutely, yes. We're, we're all looking forward to coming together again and just seeing what everybody's been doing because, as I mentioned, it's the first time we've been able to be face-to-face in such a long time. Um, so, no, you can imagine if you haven't seen family for a while, it, it's good to catch up face-to-face and actually have conversations <laughs> indeed, in person. Indeed. It's always great.
0: Okay, Jan, well, thank, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me.